Look, only one Australian film a year can be good, Andrew. Those, them's the rules. I, I hate to tell you. That's I have it. the rules. <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. If one of you nuts has got any guts. What's but a smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let the healing begin. Hi, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle. So, this week, in a pairing that you wouldn't think makes a lot of sense, for the release of Jigsaw, we're taking a look at the Australian film predestination and purpose uh and because it's an australian film there's really one person i could turn to i have andrew from the ab ab film review and the last new wave welcome back to the show andrew g'day hey how you doing (laughs) thank you (laughs) nice excellent So there's two reasons I'm having you on. Is one that's an Australian film, and one is that you bothered me online for months. So uh, congratulations, you got me to uh, do an episode that I didn't want to do. Good job. That's it. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, look, that is, uh, you know, I know that there is a lot of uh, talk about pressuring people into doing things uh, that they don't want to do online. Uh, but in this circumstance, <laughs> I'm glad that that happened. This uh, so online bullying. How dare you? Um, yeah. <laughs> so before we, before we get into this, why don't you tell people about your podcast and how they can reach you online? Uh, so you can reach me online, AB Film Review, both Facebook and on Twitter. AB Film Review is a film review podcast which happens every now and then uh, with my wife, Bernadette, where we review films. It's simple. does what it says on the tin. And then The Last New Wave, which um, is uh, an Australian film podcast. And it's, yeah, simply that, a podcast where we discuss about Australian films that that people might not know about or people may know about. A recent episode I did with Mike from Everything, um, (laughs) Babe 2, Pig in the City. The movie I still haven't watched. Before I talk about the psychology, do you have a couple movie recommendations for us? I do. So the two films that really come to mind, because it's hard when you're talking about this film to kind of think of something that matches it. The two films that come to mind are a film by Nacho Vigalondo uh, called Time Crimes. I knew that was going to come up, which I still haven't seen. I do need to watch that movie. (laughs) The the downside is that when you mention Time Crimes alongside Predestination, you're kind of like, all right, so it's about time travel and, you know, looping back and stuff like that. But it's it, uh, it tells a similar story in a really fascinating way. Uh, it's a great um, horror film in, in a lot of ways. It works superbly. The other film, which kind of touches on the same kind of, uh, you know, looping back on itself idea as predestination, um, and also about purpose in some regards, is a film that came out earlier in the year. A lot of people loved it. I wasn't so keen on it, but I know that there are fans out there. That's a ghost story, which... Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's thematically not similar to Predestination, but it deals with a character who eventually moves back in time and forgets who he is in some ways. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it, it could, could suit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so and you're wrong. Sense. A ghost story is great. So, fuck off. <laughs> um, all right. So, we are going to take a break. I will talk about purpose, and then we'll bring Andrew back to talk about Predestination. Hey people, my name is Peter and I am the host of a movie review podcast called Podstalgic. Over there, I take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. And what that means is 
I may review movies I grew up watching, or other times I invite people on and we review movies I might have missed over the years. I also talk a little bit about what might be the number one hit on the radios at that time and other movies that released as well. So join me every week. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and any other podcasting apps of your choice. Okay, time for the psychological section. So today we are talking about purpose. So very simply defined, purpose is a commitment to carrying out an action or actions in the future. But it's really about what your place in the world is and what your goals are. Like what's the desired result or outcome of what you want in your life? So there's an article from Dr. Stephen Stosny on Psychology Today about finding purpose. And the title of the article is essentially, what's the purpose of finding purpose? So there's lots of books and articles about, you know, meaning of life, purpose of life. And it usually starts with questions like, what is life about? What am I here for? Most people don't know these answers, although some people of deep religious faith probably believe that they do. But for everyone else, the answer to the, the question what is actually not that important. It's kind of arbitrary. So when we're talking about the purpose of life, we really mean this sense of purpose that we're talking about, much like the character in the movie that Sarah Snook plays really wants a certain thing, and she thinks she knows what her purpose is, but it ends up it's kind of something else. A sense of purpose, according to this author, works something like a computer program. So there's a set of algorithms that organize your experience into meaningful pieces, and then that creates courses of thinking and doing that seem to you to be important. So this is really reductive, but a sense of purpose will help guide your brain's selection from all of the bits of information it's presented with at any given moment and actually navigate a course through all of these possible choices. So it guides us in knowing what to do, even when it doesn't feel quite right. So living a purposeful life is not the same thing as doing what feels right. Sometimes actually living this purposeful life, it's the opposite. It feels wrong because your feelings are usually about comfort because the human body has this desire to always return to its resting state. So if something makes you feel uncomfortable, even if it's driving you towards your purpose, your body's gonna wanna go away from that and go back to the norm. So consistently acting on your feelings will actually push you further away from a sense of purpose and just leave you walking in circles doing the same things. So the purpose of life, it doesn't lie in what you feel like, but what you choose to make important. It's a pursuit of what's important to you, not just what feels comfortable. So what about this choice of what to make important? It actually has a biological constraint and it makes it easy to think that a sense of purpose is the same thing as what feels good. We tend to be really social human beings, and we're hardwired to react emotionally to one another. Actually, there's something called emotional contagion, and our emotions are really far more contagious than you would think. So if you are feeling sad, other people around you might kind of catch that, and, and it might make their mood dip a little bit. And the opposite is true, too. If you're in a great mood and other people are around you are in a bad mood or just kind of neutral, it's actually going to lift their spirits a little bit, usually. What this means, it boils down to that every single one of the interactions you have with anyone else in the world changes you and them just a little bit, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. And actually, there's a lot of studies that say a lot of the negative emotions we tend to blame on other things like your spouse, your kids, uh, your work, the stress you're dealing with. They don't actually come from that. What they come from is this buildup of our negative reactions to all the people that we encounter in our lives. So they give some examples here. So it says, suppose you regarded someone you saw today as a valuable person with a good heart. Everyone you live with, all your neighbors, coworkers, and people on the street, everyone you saw was a good person. If you valued and respected everyone you saw on that day, how would you feel right now? 
most likely you'd feel pretty good. And if you regarded everyone you saw with value and respect, would that make it more or less likely that they would regard the people they encountered with value and respect? Now, if you're following along with this contagion thing, that means that that value and respect will spread throughout the community. Now, what about the opposite? Suppose you saw every, everyone you saw today, you regarded with suspicion and mistrust, or you ignored them because you felt like they're not even worth my time. So if you regarded people that way, how do you think you'd feel? Probably resentful, irritable, depressed. And if you devalued all these people, no matter how subtly you did it, do you think they'd be more or less likely to devalue the people they met? Yeah, you're going to spread that negative energy in the form of resentment and defensiveness throughout the entire community. So what this all means is even our most subtle interactions with other people will help determine whether they treat their loved ones well, ignore them, or hurt them. So what's happening here with all this contagion of emotions, all the different emotions you have and how they kind of spread throughout your community, it forms this dynamic, what this author calls a web of emotion in which all of human life exists. So if you don't put out positive you know, quote unquote energy to this web in these small doses, then you're going to take negative energy from it and be at the mercy of every bad person in the world. You'll be defensive, you'll be resentful, you'll have anxiety and depression, and it'll just kind of take over your life. So your life will become defensive and not purposeful because you're no longer making choices to move in a direction to have a purpose. Now you're just protecting yourself. So emotional well-being, physical health, and even attractiveness depends on how we regard and interact with others. Every time we see someone as valuable, we increase the quality of our lives. And every time we disrespect people, we actually devalue our own experience of our own life. So if you contribute positive energy to this community, just by recognizing a basic value of people, it raises your own self-value it, it helps with your health, it makes you more attractive, and it actually creates an experience of life that is pretty purposeful. But it's not just thinking positively. It's not the power of positive thinking. We have to actually appreciate everyone is a valuable person, they're worthy of respect, and every person is capable of love and compassion. So the basic message of this article is even your most subtle emotions can make the world and your experience much better and allow you to strive for a purposeful life. All right, so we're going to close it out talking about how you find your purpose because it's all well and good to say you should live a pur purposeful life and you should have a purpose, but that doesn't really tell you anything. So this article also from psychology today is from Dr. Susan Bialy, MD, and she talks about six keys to finding your purpose. So she talks about her six E's of finding your purpose. So one is elusive. It can be easy to think purpose should be really obvious and easy to identify. My purpose is blank. Like this is what I was meant to do. But that leads to a lot of frustration and disappointment if you don't know what it is right away. The typical process is your purpose slowly emerges as you kind of put one foot in front of the other. You follow, you know, what you're good at, what life seems to be putting in front of you. And some people even go through long periods of times where they cannot find their purpose and it actually causes some pretty deep emotional pain. And if you have this experience, you might even start thinking that everyone else has a purpose, but I don't. And that's really sad. The second E is evolving. So... Sometimes there are people who know their purpose from the time they're a child, and they set out on this kind of perfect course, they study all the right things, they do all the right things in their life, they do what they're meant to. But that is really rare. So as you go through life, you hopefully will be gaining wisdom about yourself and receiving kind of clues from your life about your sense of purpose, and it tends to evolve and change. So, you know, just as, as an example from my life, when I was young, um, or even younger, I guess, when I was in college, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was going to be an English teacher, and that was that. And that didn't really work out for me. College didn't really work out for me, and I ended up working for many years and then going back to school. And 
magically kind of taking a psychology class and finding my purpose. And now it's really interesting because one of the things I'd like to do after I'm done with my studies is not only work in a hospital, but teach. So I might end up still doing that. So my purpose was right, but the path wasn't quite there yet. Three is emerges from experience. So yes, you should go out on the course that feels right. But remember, you got to learn from that journey and that course and adjust. So whatever experience or purpose is calling to you, you should probably just give it a chance. And if it causes you to change your mind or abandon what you thought was the right path before, then you're actually really, you're much wiser for it. Number four is exactly perfectly timed. So sometimes we have this idea that like, I should do this by this time, by the time I'm this old. And sometimes when these things don't happen in this exact time frame that we want, we think like, well, I failed and I was wrong and I shouldn't have done this. But purpose is not just for young people. Purpose is for everyone. Some people find it when they're young. Some people find it in a second career. Some people find it much later in life. It's all about the timing. Number five is eminently qualified. So there are people in certain professions that they may not be the best at what they do. They might not be the best dancer, the best teacher, the, the, best, the best psychologist in my case. But it doesn't mean that that's not their purpose. If you feel passion for something and you're able to, you should definitely go for it. And you are eminently qualified because, like, you know, here's a little secret is that nobody knows. We all feel, I think, deep down in our hearts, like, not as qualified as we should be for whatever job we're doing. But the outside world has no idea. So just, like, go for it. And eventually, if you keep at it, you will become an expert at whatever it is that you're passionate about because you continue and you continue and continue. And number six is enjoyable adventure. And she, this doctor says, you know, don't get too stressed or put too much pressure on yourself for clarifying your exact purpose. Because remember, these things take time and they evolve and they change. So your purpose could be something grand and really complicated, or it may be as, or it may be just really, really simple. So if you're present in the moment and you kind of watch this unfold, then you will find your purpose, even if to the outside it might seem simple or small. That's still okay. And you know, it's interesting, as far as this movie and purpose and our kind of main character here, her purpose in her mind was not elusive to her, but it ended up evolving and she really couldn't keep up with that. And I think it really upset her and caused her a lot of emotional pain because she feels like all these other people get to do what they want and I know exactly what I want and I still can't access it. And really that step of it being exactly perfectly timed is perfect for this movie. Of course, this is a time travel movie. It's all about time. And we kind of go on this journey with her and we get to find out when the perfect timing is for her to find her actual purpose. All right. So we will talk about that after we take a break. And then we'll bring Andrew from the AB Film Review back to talk about predestination. Watched the movie. Check. Popped the popcorn. Check. Sealed off all the doors and windows so that no one knows I'm home. Check and double check. I'm ready to listen to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. Oh, hello. <laughs> Didn't realize you were here. Hey, it's uh, Dwight, your best friend from the Broken Brain Podcast. Uh, what's that you say? What's the Broken Brain Podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Broken Brain is your weekly dose of mental health. It's a podcast hosted by me, a professional therapist, where we talk about the latest and most exciting things that we can find and learn about in the world of mental health treatment. We talk about anxiety, depression, uh, neurological underpinnings of the brain, addiction. We talk a lot about trauma recovery and uh, just all, all kinds of things that you'd expect from a show uh, hosted by and guested on by professional therapists, and other medical mental health professionals. You may even be lucky enough to tune in to an episode starring your very own David Hart from this very program. 
Speaking of which, Dave is about to tell us all about how to feel about this new, or possibly old, breaking blockbuster classic movie that he's about to say now. Take it away, Dave. All right, so we're back. So we're back to talk about Predestination with Andrew. Predestination is uh, is a movie I heard a lot about. So in terms of my kind of history with it, I'm actually very surprised that no one ruined this movie for me. Please, if you haven't seen the movie and you have any interest in watching it, Go watch it right now before before finishing this episode, because we are going to absolutely ruin this movie. And actually, it is on Amazon Prime for free, so you have no excuse to not watch this. If you're in the United States and have Amazon Prime, you can watch this for $0, so go check it out. I don't know what my expectations were, but it wasn't this. Like, this was not the movie I thought... I Like, I knew... All I knew about is, like, Ethan Hawke and time travel. Okay, cool. And about halfway through this movie, I was like... Is this what what is happening? Like, what is the story we're telling? Because it takes a very interesting turn about 15 minutes into the movie and becomes about something very, very different. Um, But I was very intrigued the whole time. And I actually ended up really liking this movie. So you can, Andrew, you can rest easy. You're not going to have to (laughs) fight really hard during this episode. So I really like this movie uh, more so than I expected to. So what about you? What's your history with Predestination? So I watched Predestination after watching What We Do in the Shadows on a flight back from Melbourne. Um, And I misjudged because this had like one week in cinemas here in Australia. Nobody went and saw it because... Uh, nobody went and saw it anywhere around the world, right. and so it didn't last very long. The plane landed, and if you've ever caught a plane before and you're watching a movie, you'll know that as soon as you land, they tend to put on the safety videos and all this kind of stuff and turn off the video. Well, there's about five minutes left. Oh, no. And <laughs> oh, God. Worst timing ever. <laughs> yeah. So I missed the ending of the film, the the know the final shots and all this kind of stuff and it took me about a year until i actually got to watch that until it came out on blu-ray uh and when i i did i was like oh wow okay uh that's my history with this film oh that's awful yes it's not a perfect film but i i enjoy the work of the spirit brothers they have made some pretty messy films before this undead daybreakers they're not perfect films but they have an idea in them that Mm-hmm. appears to work you know you bringing up the directors is perfect because that's the first thing we're going to go into but i think the key for them here is that they managed to get a budget that that works for them you know mm-hmm. it wasn't a huge budget but it was enough to actually tell the kind of story that they wanted to tell and on top of that you know ethan Hawke was in daybreakers and he was fine in that um but i think that he you know listening to interviews he's done about this film he finally clicked with them as directors on this effort here and having somebody like Sarah Snook as well really helped elevate the the story. And she is given a fantastic character, and we'll talk yeah. more about her later on. You know, without her, I don't know it would be as good as it is. I think the thing that impressed me most about the direction here is you mentioned the budget, but this is still a very small budget movie, and it and it shows, but that not in a not in a denigrating way. I think it shows that you can. You can make a very good movie on a small budget, and there's lots of tricks that they use here that really work for the movie. And and with time travel movies, you can do this. I love how minimalist like a lot of the choices they make are. Like even just with the like kind of mobile time machine. But I like how it's just something that this guy carries around with him, and it looks like a you know a case for a musical instrument. Uh, and it's done, yeah. you know, and it's just like these little choices where it's like that's the thing about time travel movies is there's no reality. So you can kind of do whatever you want as far as like 
how you get there. Like it could be this giant yeah. machine that can't move around, or it could be this like violin case that you cart around with you and just change the numbers on the dial and you're good to go. Before we were recording, you asked me, you said, is this an Australian film? And yeah, it is. And you wouldn't know that it is or that it was shot in the back streets of Melbourne. Right. No. Uh, you know, it, it feels like New York City and Boston. Like mm-hmm. that, it's it has this grander, larger city feel. Right. And it's impressive. Um, and you know, I think that that's the thing with directors who, are you know, are forced to work on a small budget for a long period of time. Like their first film, Undead, cost I think it was eight, eight, nine thousand dollars thereabouts. Mm-hmm but it looks much more expensive than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the work of Sam Raimi, who grew up doing cheap films, and he always made every single penny count. Right. And I think that's the mentality. As soon as these directors start to get bigger budgets, mm-hmm. they are able to, you know, basically accommodate that to, that mentality to that bigger budget. And the Spirit mm-hmm. Brothers do a good job with that here, I think. And even the scenes, like, when we have kind of Sarah Snook's character story, uh, in 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 flashback, like the the kind of training sequences when she's you know trying to become an astronaut, it's really low budget. It's really simplistic with the effects, but it's really effective too. Like you do feel like you're being transported, and you do feel like you are in her shoes in these moments. It just shows that you don't need a bunch of CGI. You don't need to spend a hundred million dollars, even if that character is meant to be training to go into outer space. And I love that. I love that we can just go minimal and still have the same effect. Yeah. And it, it helps cement it in a certain era that it's set, which is, you know, sixties and seventies for the most part. And Mm -hmm. you get the feeling that that's exactly what people at that era would be looking like. It's a sad damnation of what Melbourne looks like because, you know, if they hadn't updated their day course since the 60s and 70s and they got some work to do, but uh, it works for the film. I think the Spirit Brothers make a lot of really interesting choices, especially in this opening sequence in the warehouse. As I was watching, I wrote down, like, interesting that they are hiding this character's face. Like, what does that mean? Like, the first time you see this character's face, the face is burning, so you still can't really make out any features and of course it makes complete sense given the end of the film when we find out all these characters are are essentially the same person in this kind of paradox in this loop uh, but i thought like as i was watching it what an interesting choice especially because it looks very like film noir uh with with kind of the outfits and and even the way people are moving and the way that that first scene is shot so i really like that a lot of the choices they made whether they you know kept people in shadow or or actually showed them full there's a reason why they made each choice yeah it is it is very deliberate in that regard and i think that becomes more obvious on repeat viewings it becomes more obvious and you're like all right i understand why they're doing this and and you know i've watched this five or six times and like when i recently watched it i was a bit like well how did i not know this the first time that i was watching how did i not recognize you know that it's basically like they're keeping people in shadows and stuff like that but again it comes back to the feeling that it's very noirish and it feels it feels apt because they kind of manipulate a genre or a style of filmmaking to cover the plot story the plot points and and make it accessible for the people to to watch and understandable in the sense that you know it's a shorthand of like all right, we're going to keep these people in the shadows and it's only because we don't want you to know that they're the same bloody person. Right. So this movie, I want to ask you a question kind of about pacing and tone in this movie because the movie starts out 
Like, and you're like, especially if you go in thinking this is a time travel movie, right? So you have this kind of action sequence in the beginning, and then you have this kind of cool voiceover from Ethan Hawke, and you're like, oh, I know what kind of movie this is going to be. And then Sarah Snook's character is introduced, and the movie, and I don't say this as a bad thing, comes to a screeching halt, and it becomes Mm -hmm. like these two people talking in a bar and her telling her life story. So the first time you watch this, did that work for you or is it like too jarring of a change from, from like the first 20 minutes of the movie? No, I, I mean, it worked really well for me, but it was mostly because I prefer those kinds of talking things. So I can imagine that somebody who was more action orientated be like, ah, oh, just let's hurry up and get back to, you know, whatever this action stuff is. But for me, I found it really interesting because it was helping, you know, helping set the scene. And it felt very much like, your Hollywood uh, action film is, you know, they have that action sequence at the beginning and then they have, you know, Nicolas Cage standing there talking for half an hour and then he goes off to go and get, you know, something from a museum, that kind of thing, (laughs) Uh, this big action scene. It felt even more interesting because you feel like you're sitting down at the bar with them, you know, and you feel like, all right, I'm going to hear some pretty fucked up shit and this is going to be a pretty big story. And, I think it's the shorthand that that having somebody as relatable and you know you know understandable as Ethan Hawke is like we know who right. he is we've we've grown up watching his films and we know that he's just a cool dude kind of thing and so sitting down and with him hearing this stranger tell this story is is really interesting I will admit like as I was watching this as the Sarah Snook story started I it took me a while to get into it because like the movie starts and it sets you up to think like this is a movie about time travel and this is a movie about catching a bomber. I'm like, okay, let's go. This is not the movie I was expecting based on what Andrew told me, but okay, I'm I'm ready. Let's let's do this. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, nah, we're not gonna talk about that. We're gonna, you know, introduce you to this character in the yeah. bar and she's gonna tell you the story of her life. So it took me about ten or fifteen minutes into her story to be like, Okay, this is what we're doing. But her performance and Ethan Hawke's performance, frankly, is so good that it kind of wore off pretty quickly that kind of that confusion and that like, what what movie am I watching? What story are we telling? It did take me a while to get past that. But I think I think the movie does a good job of making you forget a little bit about the Fizzle Bomber. And I was like genuinely worried. Are we just going to leave this thread of the Fizzle Bomber and never come back to it? Like, I did have yeah. these moments, but I think it, it does, you know, work itself out. I also really like the choice, and this may be direction, this may be production value, but the way they dressed Sarah Snook when you first see her, like kind of the baggy clothing that's going on, and, you know, not of course we'll talk about the makeup later, which is fucking phenomenal, but just hiding her and letting her use that kind of physicality, I think, is a really smart directorial choice. Uh, and this is a move that if that doesn't work, I mean, this could go really badly. Like, this is a risk. To make a movie like this, to cast cast someone like Sarah Snook in this part, like that is definitely risky, uh, and it's risky just you know with the subject material. Like I, yeah, <laughs> a lot of directors probably be like, yeah, that would be a good movie, but I'm not, I'm not touching that. And that <laughs> force transgender intersex, like, mm, nope, I'm good. I'm gonna walk away from this. So this is a movie that almost has to be made by independent directors. Like this, this would never be a studio film. But, but I think the, the key thing is as well, it needs to be a very collaborative film in the sense that, you know, you need to have a lead actress who is willing to put in the hard work mm-hmm. to get this kind of character working. And, yep. you know, Ethan Hawke is somebody who puts in the hard work to get that character working as well. 
But if you don't have somebody like Sarah Stook coming up to the table and, you know, being as equally dedicated as the directors are to be able to tell it, then it fails and Mm -hmm. it would become very crass and very, very problematic. And it's not to say it's not problematic, but, you know, uh, I'm not the person to talk about the the problems that the film has. I mean, we'll move to the acting after this. But one thing I do want to say is that I think that stuff is, I mean, problematic, sure. Uh, but I think it's actually handled really well uh, because if you go and look at the history of people who are intersex, even now, um, people who are born with both sets of genitalia, usually um, a decision is made, usually by doctors, depending on which one is quote unquote more mature, and they make a choice about the gender. And that can lead to a lot of problems. And yes, this is much more dramatic because it happens as she's an adult. After a pregnancy, like that is, you know, a much tougher and a much uglier moment. Um, But this kind of thing happens. This is not a thing that's just science fiction stuff. You know, I think and I think that's the only worry is that as you watch this movie, if you don't have that knowledge that intersex people exist, uh, you could look at this like, oh, this is ridiculous and you're just going for shock value. But there are real people out there that are that are born like this and that mm. their parents or their doctors end up making a decision that like you are going to be this gender. And it's actually led to some fairly high profile suicides uh, because like yeah. these are people who never felt like they they fit in the gender that they were. And it's all because a choice was made before they had any way to consent to a choice. And there's a lot of argument within the community about you should just let people live as intersex and tell them when they're children and let, have them make their own choices. And then you have people saying like, oh, that's setting them up for hardship. I mean, it's it's a very complicated discussion. But these are things that happen. I have a question for you then in some regards, because the film name drops a few people who – have been in the situation this character has been in. And I'm not sure if they're real people or not. And I probably should have done research beforehand. But nonetheless, <laughs> if they are real people, like is that a worthy shorthand for the audience? Uh, no. To be able to say, all right, these no. are people? Or I mean, no? no, because you don't. people don't know that these are real people. They could just be name-checking sure. like <laughs> characters that they've made up. Um, and I don't think it's the goal of this movie to focus on trans rights or focus on intersex i think it's they i think the book and this more view it as as an interesting way to create a character which it absolutely is uh but its focus i don't think is on gender identity i don't think that's i think it has interesting things to say about it but i don't think that's necessarily the point of the movie and what the directors wanted to focus on if that makes sense yeah 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 it makes sense and for me the thing that you chose for this film kind of leads into that and we'll obviously discuss that a bit later on Mm -hmm. but i think the key thing is is that without a coming back to what i was saying you know dedicated performance from sarah snook who brings so much humanity to this character Mm -hmm. it'd be it'd be empty it'd be completely empty yeah yeah totally agree all right so let's move to the acting so because you just mentioned her we'll start with sarah snook so i knew she was in this movie and when she is first introduced like I, I like stopped the movie and texted a friend of mine and was just like, holy <laughs> shit. Like I was just, I was not prepared for this performance, this male performance from Sarah Snook. She looks amazing. Like kind of, I joked with a friend of mine that she looks like Dane DeHaan's older brother. So she looks like a, just a slightly effeminate man, but looks male. And the vocal performance is fucking incredible. And you don't realize how good it is until later in the movie when you get a scene of her altering her voice. I started practicing talking like a man. 
Hi. 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 Hey. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. It's a lovely day. We could get a ride, though. Hi. My name is Jane. My name is Jane. Hi, it's nice to meet you. My name is Jane. My name is... <sighs> and it is a tremendously moving performance, kind of all the way through. Like you just... Yeah. I, it's interesting because she starts off kind of rude and making some very crass comments to Ethan Hawke, like, you know, using a gay epithet to refer to him because he's a little too curious about about her for whatever reason. But it's someone you're bonded to immediately. I was genu- genuinely stunned in a good way by this performance. Yeah, I, I think it's a really, really stunning performance. And, you know, I'd, I'd seen her a lot, in obviously, in Australian films, and she's always been good. Like, you know, in, just solid in, in the work that she does. Um, and then Predestination came along and I was like, all right, she is now one of my favorite working actresses. And, you know, she hasn't done something of the same level as Predestination yet, but she's really good in Steve Jobs. She's really good in The Dressmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think that she does a really, you know, she's laying the, the foundations for a great career. Uh, I haven't seen the glass castle, but you know she's, she's good in that. that. She has a minimal part yeah. in that, but she's good there. Yeah. Like I, it doesn't surprise me that you saw her as someone who's like solid and good in a lot of things. And I just, I wish more people had seen that. Like this is the type of role that if it had somehow caught like the cultural consciousness she would have been getting gigantic roles in big movies because you could just see like she can handle it one of the things which i when we did a episode on the babadook i mentioned that um she beat out se davis uh for lead actress at the the actor awards here in australia and you know it's a they're both stunning performances of of people who are conflicted and have a whole range of emotions and you know it's amazing that you know, two great performances that came throughout that year. And I think that's possibly why that this film didn't get the grass, the, the reach that it, it could have done uh, because the Babadook was out there, you know, pushing down all the doors that it deserved to be pushing down. Look, only yeah, one think, Australian film a year can be good, Andrew. Those, them's the rules. I, I hate to tell you. That's they are it. the rules. <laughs> they are the rules. And unfortunately, we cashed in our chip with Hacksaw Ridge last year. Yeah. And, and now, now I can see why, like, I remember you telling me that, you know, she beat out Essie Davis, and I—I I think I scoffed uh, at, yeah. at the thought of anyone. But you know what? I this is a hard call. Those are those yeah. are both wonderful performances and very different performances, but they're they're both tremendous. And she is God, she's so good here. And I think we talked a fair amount about Ethan Hawke, and I think he does a admirable good job here. Like I don't think he does. I think Ethan Hawke, in some ways, is a um, is an underrated actor. Uh, but some of it is due to the type of work he chooses. Like when he is in a good mood, like I think he performs to the level of the film or the level of the role. Like when he is in a role where he has a lot to do, he is fully capable of doing it. But he's also capable of, you know, doing a movie like Daybreakers. It's just like, fuck it. I'm going to just hang out and do this weird movie. Um, and here is somewhere in between. Like he is he is not the he is not the source of this film and i think he realizes that as an actor to his credit cuz there are some moments where he could go extra over the top 
and he kind of you could see him kind of restrain that performance and i think we don't give enough credit to people who restrain their performances to lift other performances up especially when it's a man restraining himself which very rarely happens and like the woman actually gets to take the lead in this film and i think he does a good job there well he he is the actor who allowed denzel washington to do whatever he was doing in training day you know so <laughs> there you that, go that is how good an actor ethan hawke is that he's able to be like you do what you do it's fine no i'll problem. just be here i'll be I'll here when be you're done here. yes <laughs> yeah. but the last actor i want to talk about is noah taylor who i think is really wonderful here i really enjoyed his performance it's a small performance yeah. but i think he um he becomes this symbol of everything she can't have like he always just kind of pops in to just give her just enough hope for her to be crushed in the next 10 minutes. And I think he's charming. I think I think he's good in this role. I don't I don't think it demands a lot of him, but I think he he gives exactly what it's supposed to be. Like I I really enjoyed that that small performance from Noah Taylor. Yeah, I mean he's he's fine. I probably wouldn't put him on the poster or anything like no, that. No, no, uh, definitely you know. not. No, he's he's fine. And, you know, I, you messaged me saying that he is the lesser <laughs> version of Ben Mendelsohn. And, you know, yeah, OK, sure. Um, but I think that, you know, if we're talking about Ethan Hawke being a, a serviceable actor who stands back in the, the sidelines and is kind of like the guy that's there to provide some exposition. Mm-hmm. Noah Taylor has built a whole entire career around that. <laughs> like he's. He's in countless Tom Cruise films and people would forget that he's in them because he's just kind of in the background. Like yeah. he's funny looking enough that he kind of sticks out. Right. Uh, and people are like, I have to pay attention to what this guy's saying because he looks strange. Yeah. Um, which sounds like a really backhanded compliment. But no, but Noah it's Taylor's true. not going to listen think, to this. I'm, yeah, I don't think he's a, um, he's a fan, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> All right, so now we move to the writing. Here's where it gets confusing, Andrew. Uh, so what did you think of the script for Predestination, just generally speaking? I think it's really good. And it it has the the possibility of being on the nose and too much. And, you know, on repeat viewings, you really notice certain things. Like, um, you know, one of the songs that, that Ethan, or Ethan Hawke's character sings as he's walking, Jane... Uh, or, or Sarah Snook's character essentially through to the back to explain what time travel is, is he's singing I'm My Own Grandpa. It's pretty great. And the first time you watch it, you're like, <laughs> yeah, no worries. Whatever, it's Fine, a silly whatever. song. And then, and then on repeat viewings, you're like, okay, that's that's either really, really smart uh, or really, really like on the nose. Um, and then there's other lines of dialogue like uh, just a man with a face-shaped face like yours or mine, mm. which I'm like, oh, you know, the first Good. time you hear it, you're like, that's a nice line. That's a really nice line. And then on repeat viewings, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I yeah. see what you did there. I literally have a note here that just says, well, that made me feel dumb. Because uh, it really <laughs> does. As you look back, you're like, all the clues are there. Unlike uh, a movie we covered on the show, uh, The Snowman, the clues are actually here in this movie. And they are they are definitely set up uh so as the movie wraps up and and you're kind of slowly realizing like the idiot you are what is happening you're like oh yeah they fucking told me they told me this whole movie and i actually have a note here that like the movie immediately makes you think that the unmarried mother is the bomber and i remember thinking like god i hope they don't go that route that's so stupid i i hope it's not so obvious and it is but it isn't because there's so much yeah. more involved. And I just think it's really clever. I think that's the thing. If you read a lot of science fiction, which I don't, 
you know, the spoiler alert is in the title itself. Like it's called Predestination. So if yep. you are switched on that regard, you'd be like, well, I, had, I don't need to see this film. I know, if, I know what's going on. But it's a better title than All You Zombies, which is a great line in the film. But I want to touch on, so Noah Taylor's character does have this moment where he explains who this particular character is and what they are. Mm-hmm. That that moment could very easily be one that's like, all right, we're going to take five minutes to run through exactly how <laughs> this person came to existence. The writing is so smart to know they don't give a shit about this because that's not what this story is about. We, right. It does a really good job of teasing you when you think you know what's coming. They just yank the rug out from under you. It's like life where you think you know what's coming and then all of a sudden like something comes out of the blue uh, to surprise you. And I like that this movie throughout its runtime, not just the end, the end is surprising, but like about every five minutes of this movie, especially with her story, something happens where you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Just like one thing after another, because as you mentioned, this person is predestined to do something and it's not that. We also talked a little about the introduction of this movie and we got, you know, Ethan Hawke's voiceover and it's such an interesting feint. You have this like, we were born to do this, you know, with his gravelly voice and i'm like and i like that they bring that around with the tapes later in the movie because it feels like just a cool monologue but it ends up there's actually a reason for it and i think that's something that goes through this entire script is every line is thought out and there's always a reason for it like whether you like this movie or not you have to admit that it is well plotted out and well planned so let's talk about the production value what did you think of the kind of makeup effects with all the scarring and the kind of facial reconstruction it's effective and, you know, it's clouded in some darkness and stuff like that, but you see enough to get an understanding of what's going on. And, you know, the scarring and the, the different effects and stuff like that really cement who these characters are and, and they add to the, the personalities of them. I think probably the only makeup that doesn't work is the, the final Ethan Hawke that we see, which is this kind of like... Ooh, it's uh, not great. Kind of, yeah. His, his kind crazy of like barber look. Yeah, the it's... park, yeah. Oof. And I was a bit like, okay... Yeah, you you just grab the you know you realize that you probably had five minutes to shoot this <laughs> and you just grab the last wig that you could find. That's the only <laughs> yeah. one that doesn't work. <laughs> I do think that that scarring makeup works really well, and it is jarring when he first shows up because I think that's the first moment we see Ethan Hawke's face, if if I'm remembering mm. right. But I also really like his performance in that scene, like kind of talking around the the prosthetics and the voice changing a little bit. And I, I just think it's, I think it's wonderfully done. And, but I did have this moment, like, is he going to look like this for the whole fucking movie? Like, I don't know if I want to look at this. And the other makeup I really like is the subtle stuff they did with Sarah Snook to make her look masculine. You better do this really well. And I think honestly, regardless of her performance, if the makeup in those scenes in the bar doesn't work, if it's not convincing, then this movie is not going to work. But the makeup is so effective that when I did first watch it, and granted it was on a small airplane screen, but when I first watched it, I was like, I don't know who this actor is. Right. I've got no idea who this person is, and he's doing quite well. Uh, (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so let's move to our favorite scene. So what's one of your favorite scenes from Predestination? When he's finally presented with the opportunity to kill the man that's, you know, done the terrible thing that he's done, and then he realizes that he is that man. And it's when he first meets Jane, she bumps into him or he bumps into her rather. And they have that conversation and, mm-hmm. and she knows what he's, or he knows what she's about to say and stuff like that is, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's about being able to love yourself and who you are as a person. 
you know, that, that, that heartbreaking line, you know, where he says, you're really beautiful. And mm. then says, I don't know why nobody said that to you before. Mm. I think it's the first moment in the movie that that character accepts herself. I think there's two scenes uh, that are my favorite. And uh, one of them is not inter- integral to the plot at all. It's uh, it's a wonderful Ethan Hawke moment where he tells his terrible joke uh to sarah stook's character like he warns her like yeah i don't know any jokes these are terrible and then he tells it and it is like predictably terrible but he's so fucking charming that he still pulls it off but probably my favorite scene in the movie is the interview that sarah snook goes on to uh to try and get into the space program yes have you ever been with a man have you (laughs) you understand what this employment will require of you well i get to travel into space if selected, yes. No. I haven't been with a man. All right, so let's talk about the theme. So the theme is purpose. So as you were re-watching this, you thought about the theme of purpose. Uh, did this change the viewing of the movie for you at all? Or was that kind of like, uh, that theme kind of always there for you? It hadn't always been there for me, but re-watching it with the, that concept in my mind, it it elevated the film even more because you, but you realize that, you know, the, the whole purpose of this person is to show that, you know, they are worthy of, of love and being around and being an actual person, being existing. It's interesting. Thinking about this in terms of purpose, like in a weird way, it almost makes the movie a little bit mean-spirited. This is a character who constantly throughout life, that's all she wants is a purpose. She thinks she knows what her purpose is and she's willing to fight for it and she's she's kind of stopped at every avenue. And the really interesting thing is this character is built on purpose. Like predestination, like that's all she is. She is, mm. she is purpose personified, and she doesn't realize it because if you realize it, everything you know, everything gets thrown out the window. And I think there's a lesson to be learned for all of us. There is that sometimes I think we all, we all think we're on a certain path, and we're like, this is what I was meant to do. And sometimes life, like you know, with the Robertson character, life throws these things in your way, and is like, is this really what you're meant for? In a lot of ways, that's what this movie is all about, is like finding where you fit. Yeah, like jokingly, sure, it sounds uh, hokey, but it is something that we all need to actually take to, to heart. So the movie we are pairing this with, uh, very strangely, is Jigsaw, the latest in the Saw films. And I saw the trailer and I heard this is kind of like a sidequel as opposed to a sequel. Like it's just kind of like we're setting up for war movies. So that kind of disheartens me a little bit. So, I mean, I'm sure it'll be like mildly entertaining, but it's certainly not a movie that I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to check this one out. I really can't wait to see this film. <laughs> I'm I'm you know, beside myself to watch it, mostly because of the, the Spirit Brothers. If the Spirit Brothers weren't behind right, it right. and they hadn't done Predestination, then I wouldn't be as excited. I, I'm not a fan of the Saw films. I, I've watched them. Uh, I tolerate them. I, I think they're fine for what they are, but they, they're not for me. I don't expect it's going to be Oscar-worthy or anything like <laughs> that. I think it's just going to be fun. Stupid yeah. fun. So, Andrew, before you take off, why don't you tell people one more time how they can contact you online and argue with you about the Oscars, because that is what you do online. AB Film Review, both on Facebook and on Twitter. So yeah, Andrew, thank you for being here on this episode. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you bothering me to watch this movie. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thanks to Andrew of the AB Film Review and the Last New Wave podcast for being our guest on Predestination. So next time you hear me, hopefully we will be doing a new release episode on Jigsaw. 
You should follow us on all social medias. You can find us at PC Case Study or Pop Culture Case Study pretty much everywhere you look, although Twitter is probably your best option. And if you want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash popculturecasestudy, and there you can donate on a per-episode basis. It's a great way to get rewards and support an independent podcast. So until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Yeah, but it didn't work for me. And I'm like, and usually I respect people's opinions and all this kind of stuff, but I'm like, you're a fucking moron. Yeah.